Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC event going down at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York, and headlined by a middleweight t- title fight between Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira, alongside a woman's strawweight title fight between Carla Esparza and Zhang Weili, after a couple of dud uh, fight night cards, UFC coming back with UFC 281 and a entirely two stacked top to bottom card. This is one of those yeah. things where once again, and I know somebody's talking, somebody recently was like, oh, the UFC's always been like, this is how they've always done it. It's, eh, more than ever, they're really concentrating all the good fights that they can book on their pay-per-view events and their fight night cards are just increasingly becoming whoever needs fight. Whoever's got need, got a contract that needs filling at this moment. Yep. In the, in between. Did I, have I not been saying for years that this would just, this is just the inevitable way UFC yeah. cards would go. Yeah. So they'd go the way of boxing cards where it's just most of them is like one or two. The vast majority of them is one or two good fights and a bunch of stuff. You just don't have any reason to care about. Yeah, although the the pay per views they were they were doing that with pay per views for a while, where it seemed like you know your pay per view would have a big headliner and a you know whatever, and then you get it the the rest of the card would look just kind of like any other fight night. But lately, I think maybe especially because their pay per view sales have been down this year. Um, yeah, they I mean, are I prefer this. I mean, it does give yeah. me the luxury to just like I just haven't watched most of the Rodriguez Lamush event. Mm-hmm. I just haven't mm-hmm. watched it yet because there's no reason to until it comes up for research or something, and then it at least it'll be fresh in my mind. Because God knows if I watch it now for those purposes, I'll just forget it. Yeah, I don't think I've actually gone back and watched Cater versus Allen. I meant Whereas to. this one, I, I'm going to watch live and will probably even pay for it. So yeah, I guess it works the strategy because <laughs> this uh, fight card is phenomenal, and I will watch literally the whole thing in one setting. Yeah, absolutely. Looks to like looks like it's great. Should be exciting, and um, this main event is not nearly. I don't. I don't think it can inspire any confidence in anyone. Like it shouldn't. As in a confident pick. Yeah, Alex Pereira. It it makes no it makes no sense except for in the it makes no sense for any division but middleweight and any champion right, but Adesanya and, and any yeah in, in no other division should Alex Pereira be a title contender and at this like and in and not only the title contender but a title contender that has a really really good chance of winning yeah exactly and how funny is it going to be. Alex Pereira will be UFC champion with a record of seven and one. Yeah. With his last win prior to the belt, his last two wins prior to the title fight being Sean Strickland and Bruno Silva. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense the way, uh, the way divisions are typically organized. And yet I love it. I love it too. I mean, it's the awesome UFC fight. The UFC would have been 
absolutely stupid to skip Alex Pereira after that Strickland win. Yeah. It would have it it would have been an a, a complete sham. Like Adesanya has beat Robert Whitaker, he's beat Paulo Costa, he's beat Marvin Vittori, he's beat Jared Cannonier, he's beat Derek Brunson, he has beat all of the division's elite challengers of the last five years. Yep. And this is his boogeyman out there. This is the dude that beat him twice in kickboxing that knocked him out. This is the guy that, you know, even if it wasn't in, even if it hasn't been haunting Adesanya to any great degree, this is the fight that, like, the the narrative is right there. And it's a fight we all need to see. And it's a fight that I'm not, I'm not sure that Israel Adesanya is any better suited to winning than he was five years ago. Yeah, it's not entirely clear how much uh, the change of sport really changes this particular matchup. Like, yeah, <clears throat> you know, the the, fir- the first because um, the, the question here, we may as well get into it. Yeah, yeah. The question here with these long series is always um, do style matchups change over time? Often they don't. And yeah. often they don't. I mean, I, I almost kind of made it a rule of thumb to just assume that they don't. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the obvious example that comes to mind is Yoani um, and Jacek versus Valentina Shevchenko. Mm-hmm. That here was a you know a quote unquote rivalry, sort of like the rivalry that existed between like my public high school football team and <laughs> the, the biggest private school team in our town. Where like we thought we were rivals, but they didn't really care because they just beat us every time anyway. Yeah, yeah. So a rivalry where, yeah, Valentina Shevchenko had just won, like, what, three, four times in, in kickboxing? And then we get to MMA, and we're like, oh, all these things are going to be different, yada, yada, yada. Well, I mean, I was stupid enough to say that. I'm pretty sure you picked Valentina. Uh, I think I might have. God, I can't remember. I think I might have picked Joanna. Just take the credit. Just pretend. I'll just take the credit. I'll, yeah, I'm sure I picked Valentina. If you picked, if you picked Joanna, I must not have. <laughs> So, um, and, and in that case, like, yes, there was a slight change in dynamic because this is MMA, not kickboxing, but Valentina was able to sort of just expand on the things she already used to dominate their kickboxing fights. Like namely mm-hmm. her dominance in the clinch just turned into a broader sort of wrestling dominance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Israel Adesanya might have an avenue like that here, but he does not have this sort of out that Valentina enjoyed. He's, he's, I mean, people have been asking and supposing, is he going to wrestle? Is he going to wrestle? And it's like, that's not what he does. So if he does, it's not clear it would be a good idea. Yeah. That's the thing. Is it like, maybe he might shoot, but what is an, what is a prolonged Israel Adesanya takedown look like? Right. Is it a good idea? And if it doesn't work, um, is that not just likely to be like a mental collapse? Where mm-hmm. like, I came into this fight thinking I have to do a thing I'm not particularly good at to win, and now it hasn't worked, and now I'm stuck in the fight that I didn't want to be having. I mean, I don't think it will be a good idea to strategically rely on the idea that Pereira's biggest weakness is wrestling, because that is not close to your biggest strength. Yeah. You lean into what you do well more so than you lean into what your opponent doesn't do well. 
I, I'm trying to. Th- I'm, I, I mean, he's never completed a takedown. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind. Of, oh, he he has shot before. He he did apparently. He shot on Marvin Vittori at one point in their first fight, at least. And oh, he shot twice on Brad Tavares. Okay. And for almost certainly just failed shots that turned into clinches. Which yeah. I think might be his version of Valentina's uh, sport transition. You know, a transitional advantage, but. If it's just, the, I mean, I think if anything, if, if grappling or wrestling on the ground comes into it at all, maybe you give out a Sonya an edge because, you know, someone's going to do, Phil raised this point, I think it's a quite a good one, like somebody's going to do a silly spinning kick or get a kick caught and lose their balance, and then maybe you count on Adesanya to be quicker to, like, jump on the back. Yeah, he's um, he's definitely, he has shown a better ability to scramble through positions in yes. dynamic ways than uh, Pereira ever has. We've seen Adesanya like roll through a takedown. Somebody hit, we've seen him sweep. We have seen him uh, be able to hip out of things and escape in ways that are dynamic and athletic where Pereira just kind of posts, gives up his back and, Looks to stand. Yeah, he escaped uh, back mount against Vittori in their rematch. Uh-huh. Yeah, he appears to be a better scrambler. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say confidently he is a better scrambler. So yeah, that's an advantage, but not one—not a strategic one, not one you can no. rely on. It's a brief tactical, opportunistic kind of thing. Yeah, he—he is—he—he has not shot another takedown since his second and third fights in the UFC. So. So I would say that if there is one place where he did well in kickboxing that, like Valentina, he could expand on is just restricted to the standing clinch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because in their kickboxing fights, there are a lot of clinch breaks. That happens in kickboxing. It doesn't happen in MMA. And most of those clinch breaks come on the heels of Adesanya having won the brief clinch exchange. Yeah. He is a just a better... I mean, Pineda, for all his size and power is a pretty lackadaisical clinch fighter. Pereira, for all his size and power, is a pretty lackadaisical fighter all all through as a style. Like, mm-hmm. what he presents is a very, you know, we're, I, I got into this just uh, briefly on, on Twitter last night. Somebody saying, oh, my God, look at Sean Strickland's footwork. It's, you know, it, it, the, it's so amazingly... You know, it's the worst thing about this fight he had with Pereira is the fact that every time he takes a step, he switches stance uh-huh. and he's just walking forward, chasing him down, constantly switching stances. And I was like, yeah, the kind of the worst thing is that he beat so many people doing that. Like, it doesn't cost him. And, the, you know, and people were kind of like, oh, well, you know, so what made Pe- Pereira different? Is it like reach parity and height and size and all that? And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But. The biggest thing, other than just the cleanliness of technique that Pereira has on offer, is his calm. Like he's calm, he's patient. Yeah, he had he had uh, Strickland there, pressuring constantly, looking to walk him down, and Pereira just fainted a bunch, stayed on the back foot, let Strickland come to him over and over again. And set up the kind of openings that would be there for somebody who is constantly pressuring you if you're not freaking out about it. Yep. 
He's a very calm fighter in the midst. And like you go, you walk, watch that second fight with Israel Adesanya, uh, kickboxing bout. And there, there are a bunch of moments where Adesanya is doing really well. Yes. Most and, of that second fight. Yeah, most of that second fight. There's especially like kind of the like five minutes right up to the knockout. Yeah. There's a standing eight count right at the end of the yeah. second round. I mean, that if that kind of thing happens in this, very likely an Adesanya yeah. KO. And the thing, but the thing to note there is that like, Herrera, you know, even given like, A, the standing eight count is a result to some extent, I would say, of how lackadaisical Pereira can be mm-hmm. with pressure and with somebody coming after him mm-hmm. and with somebody attacking him intelligently. But the knockout is also kind of a product of the fact that, like, with somebody pressuring and coming after him constantly, he's still being very calm and picking his spots as best he can. Yes. And that that left hook just never goes away. Yeah. It's really heavy. Yeah. Adesanya is a sharp puncher. He's accurate. He's more overwhelming to deal with when he's on the pressure. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's creative. Yeah. Really strings things together very well. Cuts angles better than Pereira does. Um, but Pereira has truly heavy hands. Yeah. His shots are just thudding and crushing. Um, so, yeah, I would say that one avenue uh, for Adesanya here would, and I think this, this, could a, this could apply to a few different sort of game plans, is to just seek the clinch and press your advantage there. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just a better hand fighter, um, especially now with the small gloves where he can actually grab wrists and things. But even in kickboxing, he was a better clinch fighter better hand fighter, um, more aggressive, better at striking on breaks. And if there's no clinch breaks coming, Pereira, that's going to be a problem that Pereira just has to deal with himself. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. And I think my, my main trepidation about actually picking Adesanya here, and I'll spoil it now, I'm going to pick Pereira, even though I, I kind of have like talked myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, it seems so possible for Adesanya to beat him. Again, looking at that second kickboxing fight, he just if that same fight happened again, he very likely wins. Uh, th- there's a big, uh, you know, the thing that really stood out to me in that kickboxing bout, and it stood out to me a bit in the octagon as well, is that um, as a, you know, talking somewhat a bit about Pe- uh, Pereira being a bit lackadaisical, is that his bo- his body is especially open to attack? Oh yeah. If you can go after and kick and knee him to the body, his defense becomes an especially big problem because he, you know, he's really not act. He's not an active defensive fighter. No. He's very much a cover shell, get back and look look to counter, be calm, just kind of let the storm happen you know you if you want to do your shogun pair if you want to do your mma parody a bit like shogun your classic kind of shogun style defense mm-hmm. but if you if fighters that attack his body and like the point where Adesanya got that standing account they force him to hack actually have to make active defensive choices yeah 
And when you can force a fighter to actually have to make active defensive choices, you can get them thinking wrong, get them expecting yeah. the wrong thing, get them to start get a little, getting a little overwhelmed, get a little hurt. So, yeah, if Adesanya can press forward, kick the body, clinch, knee, go, go to the body with knees, and then come over the top with elbows, stay inside, just keep keep Adesanya, or keep uh, Pereira on the back foot. Yeah, there's there's a real opening there for him. Yeah, and I and I think that, in my opinion, is the best approach. He should yeah. be aggressive. He should. I mean, Bruno Silva had an okay fight. <laughs> All things considered, with Alex Pereira, just because he was willing to stay on the front foot, and he's an absolutely dreadful striker. Mm-hmm. He's just powerful and nothing else. Yeah, um, yeah. I think Adesanya should get in Pereira's grill, do exactly what he did in their second kickboxing bout: pressure, force him to make actual defensive decisions, and then exploit mm-hmm. them in the way that few fighters in the sport, other than Adesanya, can. Um. And then, you know, use the clinch as both an active offense and an out when Pereira starts getting ideas about countering. Yeah. The problem is, is that Adesanya is Adesanya. Mm-hmm. And he knows, incontrovertibly, that that approach can get him KO'd. Yeah. And Pereira has so many of the factors that have, in MMA, gotten incredibly passive negative performances out of Adesanya. Yeah. He's That's... a huge puncher. He's super tough. And he's also just a huge man. Yeah. And these are things, whether it's Jan Blachowicz or Yoel Romero, that have very plainly intimidated Adesanya over the course of his UFC career. Yeah. I mean, you could even argue Jared Cannonier. Like... And Cannonier even, yeah. That has yeah. just He has just been... I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying this like even disparagingly, but just to the extent that a fighter can, running scared. He mm-hmm. does not like those dynamics. And um, and so I suspect he's going to come in here and think he's going to outslick Pereira. And both of these are fights that he can win. Mm-hmm. But one is a fight where he gives a massive puncher lots of time to find the one punch he needs to win. It's sort of like, yeah, it's like the IRA versus Margaret Thatcher. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to get lucky for 25 minutes and yeah. he has to get lucky once. Yeah. And that's not a comfortable place to be. I think it would be way safer to pressure. And I think that's a super winning kind of fight, but it is obviously it has its own risks and it means inviting those risks. Whereas, mm-hmm. Being more passive, trying to evade, trying to use the huge space that the octagon affords uh, compared to a kickboxing ring, maybe you can win, but it's going to be close, and close is not a safe kind of fight to have with Pereira. Yeah. Or any huge puncher. I'm sorry, Izzy, I'm not even making a scoring argument here. He did not beat Yoel Romero. (laughs) Like, that is not really a win. Yeah, even even if you want to say he won on the cards and he did enough to convince the judges, that's fine. It was not a performance indicative of a winning fight. Exactly. That is not. He did not take the fight from Yoel Romero. Yeah. He did not make Yoel uncomfortable. He didn't seize victory in that fight. And uh, Pereira is frankly just like a, a more consistent and bigger, if less quick, Yoel Romero. Yeah, when it comes to standing offense, yeah. Absolutely. 
So I don't know. I'm I'm I am still leaning Pereira on the on the assumption that Adesanya gets a little tetchy and decides that he wants to sort of slow cook Pereira and not apply pressure. Yeah. He can get knocked out coming forward and stepping into the pocket, even though when both fighters are in the pocket, Adesanya is vastly the more overwhelming, taxing, more difficult striker to deal with moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And ha- again, a standing eight count doesn't exist in MMA. He yeah. has also proven he can stop Alex Pereira in that kind of fight before Pereira can stop him. Mm-hmm. But is he going to do it is the question. And I, my guess is no, he's going to take yeah. the wrong approach. I, I, you know, we've talked about a bit, you know, when you, you made the comment about uh, Adesanya running scared and I, we've talked a bit about this and I think, you know, it, it's, it's always been kind of shocking to me with uh, talking about Adesanya as a champion, as an elite level fighter. Yeah. That, and this isn't to disparage him at all, but he has, he seems to have a lot of competitive demons. Yes. You know? Yeah. And there is just, and he's talked about them in the past. You know, he's talked about, and we saw, you know, him talking about how unhappy he was about the Cannoneer fight because of how much pressure he puts on himself to perform well. We've heard him talking about after the old Romero fight, you know, just sort of being like, hey, I went out there and fought the guy. Isn't that, like, good enough? I've proved everything I need to do by getting myself in there and facing this beast. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, I mean, that's it's not unhealthy. That's actually a pretty healthy way to look at yourself in the world. Sure. But it's not a competitive mindset. It's a, the elite competitive mindset is not a healthy mindset. No. And I, yeah, and again, I want to contextualize the running yeah. scared remark. Like, Alessandro is a very brave man. Yeah. He went in there and he faced what is plainly a horribly uncomfortable dynamic in front of, you know, millions of people and uh, went out there and, and held himself together. But by his own by his own judgment, whatever he said after the fact, that was not a win, that Romero fight, because everything he said leading up to it was how, oh, everyone else is scared of Romero. I'm not scared. I'm going to go yeah. in there and beat him up. And he did not. He category, categorically did not yeah. have the confidence to do that. He does not have whatever it is that TJ Dillashaw has. Right. That, you know, the insanity. You hear TJ Dillashaw still talking after the Aljamain Sterling fight, being like, Oh, I I can cook that dude. Like he's the worst champ ever. I could beat him one handed, and it's like you clearly couldn't. You just lost to him. You just yeah. You what? What is prompting you to believe that you yeah. are so particularly gifted that you could handle you with like a, a completely wrecked arm that you yeah. can go out there and handle this? You, you have can. to be at, at once to be a that kind of elite competitor. You have to be at once teachable and incapable of learning the wrong lessons. Yeah. Like, incapable of ever internalizing the idea that maybe you're not good enough. And that is a thing that Adesanya just clearly doesn't have. And it, But it, he's still fighting at an incredibly elite level. Like, it yeah. is really remarkable and a great testament to his skill. And it doesn't mean he couldn't master that in one no. special night and show up and come in here and be like, I have made an agreement with myself that if I'm going to lose, it's going to be getting knocked out like I did in the second fight because I'm yeah. winning and go out there and take victory. I would love to see it. I like yeah. it. Adesanya 
having those kinds of fights is awesome. There's nothing else like it. And I, but I, I will admit, I'm a little concerned with like he had this statement recently, like fuck, you know, he said like fuck the belt. I just want to, you know, I just need to beat this guy. Yeah, beating him is important. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. It sounds like you're setting yourself up for a lot of pressure again. It sounds like the idea, you know, it, it, it sounds, it sounds like the importance of this fight is very fresh in your mind. And if I, you know, if I'm judging by things like the Blahovich fight and like the uh, Romero fight, yep. Then I'm, and even like the second Whitaker fight, yeah, yeah where both he and Whitaker kind of got, a, you know, an early taste of what their opponent's success looks like and made one adjustment and then just kind of sat on that for the rest of the whole rest of the fight through, then I have to worry that the, the, the pressure here is going to push you into a, a space where yeah, just trying to get through it is going to be the most important thing. Yeah. And, and that's still a fight Adesanya might win. It, yeah, he won be. several of these horrible close fights where if, hardly if, anything happens. If he can get to a decision, if he can just stay out at range and fight this fight to a decision, yeah. he very likely does win. And he could. It's not Adesanya is not a fragile man. No, he's he's deaf. Has I ever KO'd him except for Pineda? Has anyone else done it? No. I mean, no. That's his only. Uh, I believe that's his only knockout loss. I'll I'll double I'm pretty check. Sure, you're right. So again, even that is a fight he could win, but it's just a far less safe yeah. one, and one where he's, um, on on one level might be more comfortable because he's saying to the puncher, "No, you." Mm-hmm. But on the other level, he's not he's not going to be having a good time, and he's going to be at a kind of risk that he wouldn't necessarily be at if he, he would just try to yeah. actively shut Pineda out of his winning chances. You, I have to, you have to kind of worry. Like, it, there's echoes in there of uh, Rose Nama Yunus after her fight, her second fight with uh, Carla Esparza, where if you hear, like, what Nama Yunus has been saying after that Esparza fight, I feel like I hear some of the things that Adesanya has talked about in his yeah. past fights. I think they have very similar brains. They might. Because, you know, she's she came out of that, in, and even recently was like, I got what I needed out of that fight. And immediately in the aftermath, she was like, this was a success to me. Because my big worry is that every time I have a, uh, you know, I, I sort of can't remember what it was, like, Every time I have a big, like, you know, every time I have a a rematch, I think it was, Mm -hmm. I get hurt. And I didn't want to get hurt in this fight. Yeah. So I... The only only point in in Adesanya's favor there is that at least the guys Adesanya is scared of are actually scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is an old Carla Esparza that you will... You also demonstrated throughout the fight that if you had taken anything to her, mm-hmm. you would have clearly won. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like that sense of like, yeah. you know, the goal for Carlos or the goal, goal for Rose Nami Yunus there was like, I want to get out of this fight without a major injury and feel like I fought my best, most safe fight. 
And she did. Shit, it sucked, but that's how she felt. And so, yeah, I kind of have to worry if Adesanya is looking at this and being like, I want to come out of this without getting knocked out and feeling like I held my own and went out there and kickboxed with this super violent kickboxer. Yeah. And he might come out with an incredibly ugly fight and be like, hey, I did it. And maybe he'll win that. Maybe he will, you know. Yeah, I we we rewatched that Rose Namajunas Carla Esparza fight, and but we were all like, you know, technically Rose still should have gotten the win for that fight. No, I think I was the only one who refused to agree to that point. Yeah, okay, no well, one won. Nobody won, but because like Rose was the champion, she should have lost. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it has nothing but, to do with scoring criteria. Yeah, purely philosophical, but she lost. Yeah, and Adesanya could win that. Could easily win that fight. If it's that kind of ugly. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to pick Pereira too. I'm just... I don't... I know what Pereira is going to come in and do. Right. And I know how Adesanya can make that work in his favor. But it will be presenting a danger to Adesanya that I'm not necessarily confident that Adesanya is in a better place to face than he was the first time. Or the second time. If anything, he's had a lot of performances against guys less specifically frightening than Pereira that have inspired less confidence. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm going to pick Pereira. And if his champion will be a hilarious sight, you know. Should not happen. And yet it feels so right. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Uh, looks like, okay, I see what happened. Somebody mislabeled on uh, Best Fight Odds. Somebody mislabeled the fights. So, in fact, somebody mislabeled the fights. So, they, they mislabeled 281. as you, They mislabeled the UFC 280 card, the UFC 281. <laughs> so, now there's just a, a bunch of odds. There's a... December 31st UFC card down here that is UFC 281 uh, with or UFC 281 with our odds. All right. <laughs> this is what happens, UFC. When you have nine weeks in a row of fights no one gives a shit about, <laughs> people get confused. Uh, Pereira is the underdog still open at plus 170, dropped to plus 140, and it was sitting pretty comfortably at plus 140 and has shot up lately from plus 140 to plus 166. So Adesanya, line movement coming Adesanya's way. Adesanya opened at minus 200, jumped to minus 168, and is currently back down at minus 202. I mean, I just, there's not enough that we have seen of the X factors in Adesanya's game to feel like he should be a really, truly comfortable favorite because he's a better MMA fighter. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean enough for what he has shown in his MMA fights. Mm -hmm. And then the kickboxing bout, it's like, yeah, Adesanya, there is a clear path to him winning a kickboxing bout. It just doesn't feel like the fight he wants to have lately. So, go in there, Izzy. Take the fight to Pereira. I don't believe in you, but I want to. You know? Yeah. Just go beat this dude's ass. And yeah, fight I want to see it. And be a legend. Yep. I want to see it. You can do it, buddy. 
And like I credit to him for challenging himself and going out there and do you know, like going out and fighting Jan Blahovich. That was that took a a huge amount of balls to be like, no, I'm gonna go up a division and I'm gonna challenge the cha- you know, challenge for a second belt there. Absolutely. But we see what the result of him giving himself these kinds of challenges are. And it's not him necessarily meeting the standard that he sets out in the challenge. Yeah. And that's that's what gives me pause. All right. That brings us to a woman's straw weight bout. Carla Esparza, Wele Zhang. And um, there, this is a fight that's much, uh, this is a fight that gives me just for a moment, it gives me a moment's pause. Because we, what we have seen so often out of Wei Lei Zhang these days is that, and in general, is that she has to wrestle to win fights. Yeah. She feels she has to wrestle to win fights. And she's not a bad wrestler, but she's not the world's best wrestler. No, it helps that she's big and strong. It helps that she's big and strong. And but there's a lot of a lot of her wrestling game is predicated on upper body 50-50 trips where her strength is really what guts her through those. And but they are 50-50. And if her opponent can off balance her in that moment or can roll through and scramble through in the moment of her takedowns, she can be taken, Wei Zhang can be taken down mm-hmm. as well. And held down, I mean. Yeah, and held down. Rose demonstrated that. She held her down for minutes at a time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Rose is bigger than Esparza. She's not necessarily stronger than her. But she is, she is bigger. And that that is likely the deciding difference here as a factor. But Carla Esparza, if if Wei Zhang, if it's not the deciding factor, if if it's a if it's a position and technique thing, then Carla Esparza has all the technique she needs to go out and hold Wei Zhang down. Yeah, it's just in the past we have seen, and we saw even against Rose Namajunas that when you know if if an opponent is willing to scramble and has the size and has the physicality to scramble they can outscramble Carla Esparza cuz she's just not very strong and she's not very big yeah. she's tiny and being an undersized wrestler is the hardest way to wrestle you know you want to be the big bully out there you do, as a wrestler you do not want to have to be the scrappy little guy but in technical terms, as we've said countless yeah. times, she's the best wrestler in this division. Yeah, unquestionably. Uh, and uh, if this were anything except a five-round fight, I would probably give Carla as much as a forty percent chance to win. Yeah, she there is there is a very high likelihood that she will have a whole round of control. Mm-hmm. But Weili Zhang is not Yan Zhao Nan. She is a big step up athletically from that point. 
and power-wise. And what we did see out of Carlos Barza in that Rose Namajunas fight is what we've seen out of Carlos Barza against a lot of very good athletes in the division, which is that just because Carlos Barza can get you down doesn't mean she can just go out and win the fight. Right. She is tiny. And she is... At the very least, if she does that, even for two rounds, she will expend so much energy in the effort Yeah, that, that you might would. just cook her in a third round. Yeah. Even, even against fighters who don't necessarily have a great gas tank of their own, oh. Carla Esparza often ends up being the one flagging hard. Because it, it just takes a ton of energy when you're that small to control people bigger than you. Yeah, like even against Claudia Gadelia. Yeah. He had a miserable time late. And Wei Zhang is, you know, she has the cardio. She has the drive to fight a hard fight for five rounds. And even if she's getting tired, to recuperate between rounds and come out with just as much energy the next round. And... So, yeah, I, I got to, you know, Carlos Barza, her striking game is still, you know, it's all based on her ability to lunge in from way outside into the pocket and get you thinking about takedowns and right. eat big shots on the way in. Like she, you know, there's if Carlos, if the takedown stops working, she has to lunge in over and over trying to set up the timing on it. And she's always exiting on the same patterns. She's always coming in on the same. It, it reminds me a lot of like Bellator era Michael Chandler, honestly. Or uh, like the Chandler Alvarez fights. Actually, that's actually a better example would be the Eddie, Al Eddie Alvarez in the Bellator era Eddie Alvarez, mm -hmm. who was a really fun puncher. But there was always this sort of like side skip step to Alvarez's punching game. Mm-hmm where everybody, literally every fight, would time it and hurt him really, really bad. Yeah. Every fight. And it was, you know, sort of after that, that Alvarez, he would just keep coming after you harder and harder with more and more. And, the you know, being a pretty powerful athlete himself could dog his way through getting hurt into... Well, getting hurt would get the opponent to then chase after him. Yeah, or, and, yeah and get them, them, them tired. And Eddie is a brilliant counterpuncher and will yeah. just nail them on the way in. He's, yeah. he's MMA's uh, Juan Manuel Marquez. He gets hurt and then he becomes, for a brief time, especially dangerous to try to finish. Yeah. And so Carlos Parza has that, that skip step lead, but not the counterpunching. Yeah. If anything, she maybe has a reactive shot, but even that's energy intensive. <laughs> maybe she still loses a scramble. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's she has no choice in those circumstances, you know, getting tagged in her resets, but to tie up with almost universally bigger, stronger, longer lasting fighters. Yeah. It's a tough place to be. It's just, she's just small, you know, it's the same yeah. problem as ever. And it's, it's a huge credit to Carlos Barza um, as a fighter that like, she's, she's so old now. <laughs> she's been doing this forever and been competing at a super high level, like just having that wrestling game, the toughness, this sort of transitional aspects of MMA. Mm -hmm. She is, she is still undeniably an elite fighter. Yeah. But her flaws are really plain. Like, yeah, not hard to suss out where 
or difficulties are going to come against a wide variety of I just I would love to see Zhang really just lean on a scrappy outfighting game here and like volume like push Asparza back with volume when you can get her on the retreat when she's skipping out on those steps that she you know on that little duck in throw us throw a shot escape on an angle thing she does and then keep her trying to over pursue and you know hit her on the way in stuff shots things like that i just worry that like zhang will try to She'll try to spend all of her time being the bully, which I mean, it might that that might work against Carlos Barza. It might, honestly. Sure. Again, even if it loses you two rounds, you got three to work, and yeah, it'll just be. It it might ha- there might be a maddening round where Weili Zhang just like puts herself in the way of a Carlos Barza takedown, right. and gets out scrambled and ends up backpacked for a round, or ends up with the spars on top of her, just hammer fisting away for. A, a minute or two like it was that was a great thing to see out of Asparza in that Yan uh Jean-Nan fight was just her posturing up and being mean about her takedowns mm-hmm. and not trying to scramble through and just try not trying to create grap good grappling positions but just being like no I, you know getting you down was the that was the goal in and of itself and now I'm just going to try to work you over mm-hmm. so I'm picking yeah. Weili Zhang, but yeah, it'll be. Um, I won't be surprised if she puts herself in some bad spots early she, on. She undoubtedly fight. will early. I mean, yeah. The problem with Weili Zhang is, I mean, it's difficult to say. Like she does, she has sort of changed certain aspects of her approach, different opponents, mm-hmm. but mostly, she like she she wants exchanges to happen. Yeah, if the opponent is not pressuring her. Um, she is going to step in and engage, and she's not particularly good at it. No, yeah, she's it's way a, better countering. It, she, there's in, in a similar to Yan Zhaonan kind of way, there is sort of a rote setup to her pressure or her to her lead striking. Yes, it's like a one-two kick, one-two kick. I'm just going to enter on the same combination setup over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, it was that that fight she had with Rose Namajunas, the second one, it was miserable. Yeah. Because she kept trying to lead and then just trying to, like, chain that to takedowns into a wrestling game that was ultimately pretty anemic. Like, even when she got takedowns, yeah. it didn't. She didn't. She didn't get a lot started out of them, which is what I'm worried about against Esparza with her, the idea of her being like, "Oh no, I, wrestling is just going to be baked into my style at this point." Yeah. Like she doesn't create a lot off of that kind of offensive burst. Yeah, but it's a five rounder, and that's yeah, ult- that is ultimately the reason to still pick Weili Zhang with a strong degree of confidence because there is no reason to to trust Carla over five rounds. And there's yeah. plenty of reason to assume that Weili Zhang is still going to be there, is still going to be powerful, still going to be willing to trade, scramble, and 
Yeah. And there's the fact that everything that every time Rose Namunas actually tried something in her rematch with this far it pretty yes. much worked. Yep. Like she's still was, very uh, hittable. She's she doesn't have the range, so you can just plunk her from a distance. And then if you go out and you just be athletic when scrambling with her and roll through and fight through things and don't let her get comfortable in positions, you can out-scramble her. Yep. Unfortunately, that was only revealed on uh, about three occasions. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Picking. Whaley Zhang. She's Zhang. getting the belt back. Of course, that will be the... Uh, Probably the the best. Let's see. I'm trying to think for Amanda Lemos. That'll be the worst outcome because Rose Namajunas can turn around and be like, "I just beat this person twice." Come on. Yeah, but I mean, God, if they give Rose a title shot, I know. Last I know. I'm telling you what they need to do. This is this is what Rose deserves. They give the next title shot to Amanda Lemos. Mm-hmm. And they make Rose, assuming she wins on this undercard, they make Rose fight Carolina Kovalkiewicz a second time. Oh, God. I don't want to see that. I do. I want to see if Rose still loses that fight to a rejuvenated Carolina who's essentially the same as the fighter who pretty soundly beat Rose last time. Yeah, I'm not sure that Carolina is actually the same, though. Maybe not. But Rose... Rose is like she just completely shit the bed against Carla Esparza. Carolina actually like fully beat her and fair enough, kind fair of enough. broke her in their fight. It's true. All so right. Do that. Rose does not deserve another title shot. I'm sorry. That is not a championship level performance that she delivered. All right. So let's uh, odds on this bout. Weili Zhang is. Oh man, I have to search now because none of this is filed right. Okay, there we are. <laughs> filed under future events. <laughs> Weili Zhang is a sizable favorite here. Opened at minus 150, currently down at minus 383. Carolus Bars opened at plus 130, jumped up to plus 220, is currently up at plus 293. That sounds reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Not completely wide. Carla does have some advantages here, but yeah, if she can get if she can get those first two rounds, if she can get on top of Weili Zhang and drop a serious amount of offense on her, yeah, uh, then she might be able to do enough damage to make the later rounds of this fight a real toss up. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she gets a submission. Maybe she gets an arm triangle or something. Yeah, beating beating Whaley up a bit. Yeah, it's just. It's a pretty t- it's a pretty heavy ask. Yeah. And it's going to all the success she has is going to come at a cost yeah. that she will yeah. certainly have to pay later in the fight. Definitely. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, and uh Yeah, this will be a thriller. Yep. It's awesome. Um there are a few sort of obvious X factory questions. Mm-hmm. About both of these guys, I mean, Dustin Poirier probably has no aspirations any longer to become a champion. Yeah, just wants the money fights. That's what this is. People are going to show up to see it. It's going to be awesome. Michael Chandler is of the T.J. Dillashaw mindset. Yes, I think this dude still wants to be champion. He's got a bad case of Dillashaw brain. <laughs> That's right, or a good case. I mean, depending on who you ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's made Chandler in what is definitely no longer his prime. 
an enduringly like dangerous high level fighter. Mm-hmm. Even in okay. these matchups, he's lost. At no point are you like this guy doesn't belong here. No. Um, he has shown good preparation for a variety of different opponents, especially against Dan Hooker. Like that, yeah, looked so much like a matchup with a lot of difficult kind of pinch points for Chandler. And he's just like, well, what if I just uh, take advantage of the fact that he has zero cage craft and explode yeah. his head? You, you spook, Hooker got spooked so bad in that fight. He, I that was that was one of those things where like you and I made a read on it and we're like, oh man, like I think Hooker's a uniquely bad matchup here. And then you see them for like ten seconds in the cage together. And you're like, yeah. oh wow, nope, never mind. That's gonna lose. Throw it all. Yeah, <laughs> throw all lose. of that away. He's yeah. just gonna lose. Because Chandler, he may be a relatively shallow fighter and ter- uh, shallow striker in terms of like extending exchanges. Um, certainly, he gets out of position usually after committing to the first punch he throws. Mm-hmm. He's super reliant on just his raw athleticism. He's fast. Yeah. He's super powerful, um, but um, he, there is actually a lot of like unheralded subtlety in how Chandler disguises and sets up those singular overcommitted bursts. There's a lot of good pressure, mm-hmm. good feints, um, a few basic, and and that's not a disparaging thing, like the right kind of basic switch-ups. Just here I am in front of you. I might leap into range faster than you can react to, even at 37 years old or whatever he is. Um, And is it going to be the right hook to the body or the right hook to the head? Yeah. Is it going to be a one-two or is it going to be a leaping left hook? And like, you're going to have to gamble. If you let him out position you, the the difficulty, there's a difficulty in timing when he's going to enter because, again, he faints. He does throw... Uh, throwaway strikes to set up his big shots, and then he's got enough switch-ups and what big shots he's going to deliver to absolutely take you out. Mm-hmm. Um, his problems are that he's—it's not none of it's really sustainable. Like, yeah, Chandler as a young man had classic uh, wrestler cardio, where he would do so much constantly at such a high pace that yes, he would get tired, but the opponent was almost always more tired than him. Mm-hmm. Now he gets tired before the opponent does. Um, and I still think, even like his fight with Justin Gaethje, there were some encouraging moments. Like he found some yeah. really interesting, yeah. effective adjustments of the kind that um, Eddie Alvarez found against Gaethje. He was working the body, he was throwing more jabs. Um, but even that wasn't sustainable. He was just completely gassed by the end. And uh, essentially tried to disguise that by just like uselessly showboating mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of gave away a third round that even at that point, he still seemed like he should have had winning chances. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one aspect of, of that, that that might apply here, uh, and I will give credit to whoever it was that said this in heavy hands, it was either Phil or uh, the fight sites, Miguel class that uh, Poirier himself does not have good cage craft. Yeah. He, um, he has good positioning, very good positioning relative to his opponent. He, he will hide his center line. He will take small angles. He has mm-hmm. vastly improved his defensive skill set over the last five, six years. 
And of course, he is a fantastic counterpuncher, as we have mm-hmm. harped on many times. Um, but he is still prone to putting himself in bad positions, backing himself up against the cage and letting dangerous, fast uh, punchers, giving them time to work and lots of open air at their back to retreat into. The the essential the essential uh, dynamics of a Dustin Poirier offensive sequence are usually in a linear line, straight forward or straight backward to start. Yeah. And the straight forward line tends to change either when his opponent gets knocked out or he gets cracked really hard on the counter and decides that he needs to back up. And then the backward line tends to change once his opponent starts throwing. Yeah. And he will then slip off on an angle and counter really well. And that's the pocket has actually been entered. Then yeah. it's like, this guy's MMA's Joe Lewis. Yeah. Look at these then nice he, little pivots and sidesteps and counter combinations. Yeah. Yeah. But the initial the initial dynamics are such that he will yeah, he can get to, he can be a very chasing fighter on the front foot. And he can back himself straight into the cage. Going backward, the, uh, getting pressured. There's the ever-present possibility that Chandler just sleeps him in the first round. That is a chance for every Chandler fight. He's probably going to be allowed to pressure. He's going to have the ability to confuse uh, Dustin Poirier's timing and defense when he's still cold and when he's at his most passive early in the fight. He might just deck him. Mm-hmm. He might also find avenues into his wrestling game, which um, is a weakness of Poirier's. Like if Poirier pulls, yeah. a, pulls a goddamn guillotine, oh god, you know what I mean? Like that's that could lose him the fight. <sighs> the man kept it guillotine. in his heart. He kept it for Habib. He, he kept loves it for Habib. Guillotine. He can't yeah. not do it. And I knew it too, which I remember because that is a fight where I remember you picking Poirier. Oh yeah, I remember I us like, picking he will Yeah, and he I was, won't pull the gilly. And I was just like, no, he will. He he, <laughs> he will do it. He if that is his, he will do it. And he, I love afterward. He was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, you know, <laughs> you think? You think? Um. So yeah, that might happen. Yeah. And um and even if it doesn't work, maybe that if Chandler ends up in the same position here that he was against Gaethje, again, that was a winnable fight still. Mm-hmm. Even if he's gassed and he just kind of holds on, I think it, if anything, he's more fragile than Poirier at this point. But yeah. it doesn't mean it's a surefire thing that he's gonna get KO'd if he decides to go on the back foot and make Poirier chase, which is not Poirier's strong suit. Yeah, I mean that's that is where Poirier has classically gotten the most hurt. And even these days, he has this sort of like, I burst forward, oh, I know I better check myself and yeah. stop yeah. style. But in the middle of those bursts, that is still where Poirier is often shifting. He is often throwing both hands at the same time. He is doing a lot of stuff that sets him up perfectly to be countered hard. Yep. I'm still going to pick Poirier. Yeah, you have to. Because if Chandler is more fragile than Poirier at this point, if he is going to pressure and doesn't succeed in either sleeping Dustin or um, or taking him down and and like 
shutting him out of the fight that way. Um, and even if he does take him down, like that might just cause him to gas. Mm-hmm. That seems to happen these days. If any of these things happen early, Poirier is still going to be there ready to counter Chandler's, again, relatively shallow entries all yeah. fight long. And, and Poirier is more even than... Uh, maybe even more more even than Gagey, uh, a fighter who, like... If you start to, if, if something starts to go a little wrong for you, yeah, yeah, he will be, he will just start to pour it on. Yep, you know, he He's will put a crowbar in the. If there is, if there's a little crack in the door, he will put a crowbar in it and he will blow that open. Yeah, he's maybe one of the best. I should look this up as I have for like McGregor and and uh, Anderson Silva in the past. What is the ratio? I wonder. Um, for Dustin Poirier between knockdowns and finishes. Because I'm willing to bet, uh, or if you could somehow quantify occasions when he's hurt his opponent, how likely does that quickly lead to a finish? I'm willing to bet it's pretty close to one-to-one. Yeah. He is an exceptional finisher. And he also has a very diverse striking skill set. He can work the legs. Maybe that's a bad idea because Chandler's going to look for takedowns, but he can work the body will encourage an already gassable Chandler to gas even faster. And Poirier is just a craftier, more consistent. Boxer. Yeah. I, I think too, like the really instructive fight here has to be Poirier Gagey. Yeah. Which was kind of a big tipping point in mm-hmm. the ele- the evolution of Poirier, the, per- the perennial title contender that we now know him as. Where... Gagey came after Poirier with a lot of the same tools that Chandler is going to. Mm -hmm. And pressure, got all the pressure he wanted, got all the, you know, for Gagey, all the low kicks, all the, you know, big sweeping hooks, all the kind of stuff that we can expect Chandler to try and do. Maybe not the takedowns, but still. And we kept waiting for that moment where Poirier would a little success for Gagey would turn into Poirier starting to crumble mm-hmm. the way it felt like he used to so often. And, you know, we talk about what, what we talk about with Poirier and like when opponents have created the pocket, how much better he is defensively and how much calmer and how much better he is at pivoting and finding counters and making exchanges his his opponent's start, be exchanges Poirier finishes. He stuck to that so perfectly in that Gagey fight mm-hmm. that, you know, by, we're talking four rounds, Gagey was, Gagey's own offense and his own attempt to keep creating were the things that steered the fight in Poirier's favor. They shaped that fight for Poirier because he kept having so much success out of those exchanges. Mm-hmm. And that's that feels to me like exactly the kind of fight that Chandler is going to try to create. It's the kind of fight that will serve Chandler best. Mm-hmm. And it'll also serve Poirier best. Mm-hmm. So it it is kind you know, it's kind of wild to think that like the fight that 
I feel like Chandler might be most likely to win is the fight, or you know, like the fight, Poirier pressuring and going after Chandler feels like the fight that would serve both both of them the worst. I don't know, like Chandler on his back foot retreating is in all kinds of trouble, uh-huh. but Poirier on his front foot going forward is mm-hmm. also in all kinds of trouble. Yeah, I'd have more faith in Poirier. Yeah, it's it's easier to have faith in Poirier in that kind of situation. So just to uh, just to state my own curiosity, I looked at the UFC stats. The only fight in which Poirier getting at least one knockdown has not resulted in him winning was Chucky Olives. Mm-hmm. The only other fight in which a knockdown was not followed by him knocking the opponent out was ages ago against Eric Cook. Yeah, every other time that he has knocked somebody down has been like seven or eight times he has finished them yeah he's he's a bad man he really is so yeah i gotta pick poria here um but it'll be fun it'll be fun as hell because like i say like the best version of this fight that we're gonna probably see is one where chandler is getting exactly the fight he wants yeah. where he is on the front foot fainting setting up big power shots with poria on his back foot uh circling the cage yeah, it's it's a weird sort of repeat of the Poirier McGregor dynamic. Mm-hmm. Except, what if McGregor was faster and also a dwarf who could wrestle? <laughs> and that that does seem like a significant difference yeah. to make this pretty unpredictable. Yeah. yeah, like you have to pick Poirier in my opinion. That just seems like there's there's too many ways this fight goes after round one that Poirier uh, wins, but. Mm. Um, Things could go very, very badly early in a number yeah. of ways as well. And, I mean, we've seen, like, Poirier, you know, against uh, even against Dan Hooker. Like, against somebody who was just willing to set, like, a perimeter and pick at him and, like, have a hard fight. Like, it doesn't necessarily always get super easy for Dustin Poirier because he puts himself in bad positions. Yeah, and again, it is, it's a, it's a little unclear what the source of Poirier's motivation is now. True. Yeah. Maybe. Um, he is a dude who has been talking about like, eh, I'm kind of yeah, on my way to doing other things for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. You know, Chandler is definitely not talking about anything like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Poirier is the favorite here. Opened at minus 200, got up as high as minus 166 at one point, currently back down at minus 219. Chandler opened at plus 170, got down as low as plus 137, but has shot up in the recent weeks to plus 178. So, odds getting wider in Poirier's favor as fight night approaches. All right, that brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Frank Edgar, Chris Gutierrez. Zane, and for Frankie Edgar, is it the the last hurrah that so few MMA legends get to ride out on? Or is it the glue factory? <sighs> you know, it's, it's a tough question, too. <laughs> it is. It's, this, 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 this match of the more I looked at it, I was like, is this like a old guy getting fed to an unwinnable uh, opponent because I'm, I'm not sure that it is even at this point there's a lot of um alejandro perez uh-huh. in chris gutierrez 
you remember like the prime of Perez's run up the Bantamweight ranks where mm-hmm. he just sort of flustered all of these people with his back foot boxing game where he would just sort of recoil against the cage and dare you to step in and then wing wild hooks at you if you did and drive you back. Um, Gutierrez is a better pocket boxer than Perez, he, but he most, most importantly, he's a better pocket. He's a better kicker. That too. That's the big thing is that his, his style is more sustainable in that way because he's negates fights through kicks, which give him a lot more range to work with. And, and the classic like Machida thing where like, there's a lot more to worry about yeah. if you're stuck at range with him, which creates a pressure to step in and make mistakes. Yeah. That said, it's not a very, like the danger of his style is a lot down to his opponents getting really frustrated by it and not wanting and, and believing the trap that he's setting, you know, in a, in a very like, in a Machida way, mm-hmm. without being nearly the kind of puncher that Machida was. Mm-hmm. A lot to Gutierrez's game where it's just like, I don't want to get kicked, but I also don't want to step in and trade hands with this guy. Yeah, and also lacking the essential, uh, um, the essential under-celebrated element of Machida's style, which was the wrestling. Yeah. Clinch game, the takedowns, the trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gutierrez spent the entirety of a first round against Cody Durden having his back taken. Yeah, some, somebody just went out and was like, well, what if I just don't respect this at all and just yeah. go after you? I'm going to grab your leg. Have and they just, they just took him down and rode on him for a round. And, I mean, even as recently as Frankie Edgar's fight with Marlon Vera, he went out and he just rode Marlon Vera for the first round of that fight. Mm-hmm. Took him down immediately without issue. And even against Pedro Munoz, who is himself a very good kicker and a very predictable pace fighter, Frankie Edgar was able to just, you know, he was able to time the tempo of the fight. Mm-hmm. And just edge out and stay barely ahead the whole time, the whole way through, without takedowns. And, you know, then you got to get into the fact that every time Gutierrez loses, it's because somebody can just go out there and take him down and ride him. Yep. And I kind of want to pick Frankie Edgar. Mm-hmm. It really depends on how shot you think Frankie is. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, if, I, if he has the fight he had with Marlon Vera... I kind of feel like that's a that's a winning fight here because Chris because Gutierrez is not Vera, he is not that dangerous, he's not that dynamic. He's consistent and he's tough, and he can make that count in a hell. You know he, that counts for a hell of a lot, but it's different than being an elite level talent in the way that Vera is. I'm going to pick Gutierrez because um, all those things are absolutely true. Yeah. But he is also a pretty vastly superior technical striker to Vera. 
And mm. that is not just in terms of the cleanliness of combinations or, you know, the, the technique of each individual strike, but footwork. Yeah. That was what solved, yeah. as much as it did solve, the Cody Durden fight for us, that the takedowns got harder to actually um, initiate from good positions the longer the fight went on. That Durden just stopped, he stopped giving Durden the same lines of entry, stopped giving him the same distance from which he could safely shoot. And um, it's pretty rare that Frankie, like at Featherweight, he had that brief window. It's increasingly rare that he wrestles anyone to a win. Like, yeah, he's, he's got a couple of his like sp- favorite special takedowns. Mm-hmm. got the knee tap, you know, and you know, he's, he's a perfectly well-rounded wrestler. He can do all sorts of things, but the entries, the timing, these are things you can figure out that have only gotten easier to figure out as he's gotten slower. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it's, I think there's nothing wrong with picking Frankie. Like, I, I don't think this is a, a, a walk-off win for Gutierrez at all. Yeah. But last week I, I took, uh, Rodriguez, over Magni against yeah. you. <laughs> and a rare rebush win. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I, to my credit, Rodriguez fought the kind of fight I hoped he would for a while. Uh-huh. He started having the time, you know, he started landing the power shots off of his timing, off of just, you know, creating regular boxing exchanges with Neil Magni, realizing I can just hit this guy a lot harder. But, you know, the other factors came into play and it didn't. I, I'm I'm not going to I'm going to pick Gutierrez. I can see the path to a Frankie Edgar win and I would love to see it happen for him. But he's 41 and it's bantamweight and Gutierrez is a big bantamweight. And he is just so consistent that. Even a really bad round one for him could easily turn into two rounds that are pretty good for him. Yeah, and Gutierrez is the kind of, um, like sort of like a Sun Tso, who in some ways he's kind of like the heir to. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of technician on the feet who um, frequently, not a great finisher, but frequently sort of incidentally hurts his opponents mm-hmm. just because he is in there constantly sort of calculating, finding new openings, looking, you know, uh, learning his opponent's timing and landing shots at the moment when they don't see them and they're not braced for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think you necessarily at this point have to be Cheeto Vera, who's, you know, bantamweight Yolo Romero yeah, to, uh, to stop Frankie. He's, he's always been fragile, but tough. Now he's fragile and old. Yeah, the Pedro Munoz fight gives me hope for Edgar. Sure. Um, but even then, there was a big thing going against Munoz in that bout that uh, Gutierrez has in his favor, which is that uh, Munoz didn't have any range on Edgar at all. Have so, range and, and doesn't have much of an ability yeah. to like build and add layers, which Gutierrez definitely does. He's a, yeah. he's he's far and away the best technical kickboxer out of Factory X. Yeah, I'll ride with Gutierrez with you. 
it, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty close to a toss up. I mean, I, it's, it's not a, not a great style matchup for Gutierrez. No, it's a style matchup. He's lost many times before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't trust Edgar to just pull it out. And, but you know what? It's a, it's a well-booked fight for his final fight. It is. You know, it's not a meaningless win for Gutierrez. If he can get it, it's, it would be the biggest win of Gutierrez's career by far. Um, even just in terms of like, even still in terms of difficulty improving something out of the style matchup, mm-hmm. it would still be a big win for Gutierrez. And for Frankie Edgar, like, yeah, it's not a top ranked fighter in your division, but it's not some like new kid they pulled off the street where you beating him really feels like they just gifted you. Mm-hmm a walkover fight for your final bout. It's, it's a, it's a well-booked meaningful fight for Edgar too. If he won it, it would still prove that he has something remaining of his former glory. Mm-hmm. It also shows just how worthless it is to be a company man in the UFC. Cause oh, yeah. it's like <laughs> they could have given him, I'm sorry. He's at this several other places. They could have given him like Ronnie Yaya or something. True. You know what I mean? True. Like that's a very winnable fight for old Frankie Edgar. This is. Yeah. Although if he got schooled by K1 Yaya, it would feel a lot, <laughs> lot worse. That's true. That would that would be truly a one-way ticket to the glue factory. Yeah. Like I said, this is at least if if Gutierrez wins, you're like, oh, Gutierrez is pretty good. He's like, you know, there's a, there's some good stuff in his game to watch. And if Edgar wins, you're like, wow, that was a really strong win. And whereas like a Yaya fight, as you say. It's stylistically a much more, you know, maybe even more of a good fight for Edgar. But it's also a fight that if he loses, you're really like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's all I got. I got I add one more thing, which is that, um, you know, obviously you and I both know Phil and Phil is the I mean, he owns the glue factory. Yes. And also, it's been his family for generations. Yeah. And technically owns the vast supply of uh, Cornish and Welsh workers who. Uh, you know, boil the hooves and et cetera, et cetera. Took it from the Saxons, I think. <laughs> um, um, but uh, uh, Miguel Class sort of said he agrees with uh, Phil's philosophy because these these kinds of matchups, while sort of cruel in one respect, are also just kind of the only way to make the UFC rankings as broken as they are, make any kind of practical sense. Yeah, no. Frankie Edgar is sitting on a ranking at Bantamweight. Yeah. Much like how Tony Ferguson was sitting on a ranking for ages, or Conor McGregor is somehow still ranked. Like, these guys just don't, they they don't fight for four years, or they don't win for three, four years, and they just drift around because they're still fighting other ranked fighters. They never drop off. Frankie Edgar is not a ranked Bantamweight. They, they really, they really should just be an eye test to the rankings as well. Like I, I, I realize that a lot of it has to be a practical sort of, you know, this person beat this person, that means this amount, yada yada yada. You know, there has to be so, a lot of that to make the rankings functional. You don't, you know, you do have to have a practicality of like, you beat the top two ranked fighter in your division, that means something. But every time, it should also come with an assessment of how good or bad was that fight yes. really, and how good or bad did it make you look really? Yes. 
Tony because Ferguson if, should have been yeah. ousted from the rankings the moment he lost to Benil Dariush. He should yes. have plummeted out of the top 10 the moment he lost yeah. to Chucky Olives because he looked awful in both yes. those fights. He wasn't remotely competitive. And so here we get, um, if Chris Gutierrez wins, that's a freshly ranked fighter. He's going to get a yeah. top 15 ranking off of this. And I will say, though, to Edgar's credit, he didn't actually look awful against Marlon Vera. No, no. He had, some, he had some success for a little while. So in his credit, you know, to the ranking credit there, it is not as unreasonable sure. as ranking Ferguson at lightweight right now, as weird as that is, because Ferguson yeah. is 41, and Frankie Edgar has every bit as many road miles as T. Ferg does. Yeah, but then you look at, you know, you look at the top 10, of which Frankie yeah. Edgar is barely outside, and it's like, would I pick him to beat any of these guys? Yeah. And the answer is no. Not even Pedro Munoz anymore, because no. it wasn't even clear that he beat Pedro in that fight. I kind yeah. of thought he lost. Yeah, it, 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 it should be, you know, if he is, if he had to be ranked, he should be like 15, you know, yeah. barely at the outskirts. It's like they you know what, the, this is how it works, and good yeah. for Chris Gutierrez. This is a, a meaningful fight for him, and it would be some fresh blood in the rankings if he wins. Yep. And if not, Frankie's retiring anyway, so it's going to be sorted out one way or the other. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Gutierrez opened at minus 130, dropped to minus 204, currently minus 226. Edgar opened at plus 110, jumped up to plus 174, currently plus 182. All right, and that brings us to our final fight of the main card. Dan Hooker, Claudio Puelles. And uh, I like it. Yeah. It's a it's a strange matchup. It's a strange matchup, and it's one that like Claudio Puelles. I uh, I don't understand. Like I I do not understand. <laughs> Stop there. You're right. Yeah, I just no. don't get it. He let's. This is a pattern that is repeated since time immemorial. Weird submission guy arrives, gets his weird submissions. But, uh, somebody prepares for the one or two things he can do, and then he just gets ousted from the rankings very quickly. It's 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 um, Moisesh. It, there's just just a million of these guys. No, I know, I know, I know. But the thing is, is that like when he arrived, I he didn't really seem like weird submission guy at all. Yeah, true. He you know he came off of. Uh, tough Latin America, and he seemed like you know the MMA. He seemed like the the guy watching GSP tape. Yeah, who raw athlete who's only ever done MMA. Who's only ever done MMA, and he is learning how to fight through rush fit. Where like you know, here's an overhand. He's got like a jab and an overhand. You stretch his striking anything beyond that, and there's nothing in it at all. He's got a powerful double leg takedown, but if he has to change that up at all, it just doesn't work. And uh, then his grappling game is uh, okay, but you know, sort of tricky based and not nothing like I would have noticed. And even his knee bar over Felipe Silva didn't make me at all think for a moment, oh, this is a submission wizard. Yeah. It was a fight where he was getting his ass beat through the canvas for two and a half rounds. 
and he pulled out a miracle submission. And then, you know, wins over Marcos Mariano, Jordan leave it. Like, these just aren't. And then he comes out and he just, like, even Chris Gritzmacher and Clay Guida, they're still not that meaningful. But the way that he has gotten the submissions in those fights, those knee bars, is insanely dynamic and dangerous. Yeah, super cool. Really cool. Really crafty. Really slick. And it seems to be the only part of his game that really functions. Suddenly, he is crafty submission guy. And it happens to be the one part of the game that, as I said, like just doesn't really lead to sustainable success yeah. as a ranked UFC fighter. Yeah. So, I mean, we're picking Dan Hooker, right? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to break down this fight anymore after that. No, I, he's always, I guess it is technically me, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's back at lightweight where he belongs. Um, there's reason to be concerned, but... There's like only one thing that Poyas has ever done in the UFC that has won him fights or looked impressive. And it's one thing that just doesn't tend to be the way you beat Dan Hooker. Yeah. Like, good luck taking him down. Poyas is not a good wrestler. Mm-mm. He, he Dan- goes to his knees the moment he shoots on anybody. Yeah. Cormier was that really bad. Yeah. I, th- I think it's honestly more likely that Hooker guillotines Poyas than it is that Poyas gets another knee bar or like an omoplata or something, any of the other back uh, guard submissions that he tries to pull on people. I mean, isn't a knee bar just the most, like I've watched for us, the hobby instruction. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. I love a knee yeah. bar, but that's not something to bank on. And no. it seems to be the only way he's been winning these fights. People just keep getting surprised. Cause they're like, this doesn't usually work. And, I mean, um, his transitions to it are light. They are. It is ridiculous how how good he is at that. Absolutely, it's clearly something he's super comfortable with. Yeah, but um, Hooker's hard to take down. He's hard to strike with. Um, he's honestly hard to grapple with. And in all likelihood, if there is grappling here, it's going to be with Hooker in top position, where he might just like go Rick Glenn mode and just sort of sit back in the guard and just hammer Poyas. Yeah, uh, with strikes. So. I, I see no reason to pick Poyas. I think this is the opponent that just doesn't suit his style, who knows yeah. the one thing he has to be wary of, and likely uh, not just the end of his improbable win streak, but the beginning of a losing streak, because that tends to be what happens to these guys. Yeah, I, I will say, too, I think the big the big concern for Poyas here is his select-a-strike distance um, striking where he just kind of hangs out way out at range and then just picks something to do. And hooker is, you know, clearly overwhelmable as a striker and has always had this ability to be pushed back and beat up. If you're willing to eat counters or, you know, risk the damage coming back at you. But, if you give Hooker a bunch of time and space to figure out what to, to pick what he wants to do, then you get a fight like Nazarat Hawkfrost had. And Hawkfrost is a lot faster and a lot better, you know, a, a lot more particular about his striking mm-hmm. and uh, than Puelas Puel, is. And um, 
Hooker should just be able to go out there from the edges of the pocket and just plunk Puelas over and over. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to take Hooker, and I think he'll probably finish Puelas. Uh, odds on the bout, Hooker is the favorite, opened at minus 200, jumped up to minus 155, currently minus 154. Puelas opened at plus 170, dropped to plus 135, and is currently at plus 126. So those odds are getting a bit closer. Not surprised given Hooker's recent track record, but... Yeah, I think even given Hooker's recent fights, it should he should be a bigger favorite. Yeah, I, this is one that I gotta see before I before I ever think yeah. Hooker loses to this kind of fighter. Yeah, like I say, I I, I watch Puelas fight and I fights and I just I don't trying to track what he's gonna do going forward is just like yep. I I don't know how you're gonna scale this at all. Yep. So. All right, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And uh, we'll be, as always, the MMA section is brought to you by uh, Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at his website, chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com.